halfway through December. How many of you, how many of you have already finished your Christmas shopping? Raise your hand so we can not like you. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Right? That's awesome. I appreciate you. Might need your help next year uh, on a personal level. That, that is awesome. There's something about Christmas. While I love this time of year, I don't know if it's true for you, but for me, it is one of the most stressful times of the year. Is that true for you? I mean, we, we deal with stress all the time, but there's something about this season. It's just stressful. So many places to go, so many things to do, so many things to roll through. And so I don't know about you, but what happens to you when you get stressed? One of the things that happens to me is I am more prone to lose things. I lose stuff. I lose stuff like my car keys. Like it's crazy. You use them every time you go somewhere, but somehow we lose car keys. One of the things that I, I really can't stand losing, but I, I lose often, is the phone charger. Now, the difficult thing about the phone charger, it's not really lost. It was stolen by somebody that lives in your house, that shares your name. And isn't it funny how when you ask your kids, hey, did you take the phone charger? No, no, I don't know. Nobody took it, but it's gone. I don't know how that happens. Another thing that I, I, I lose on a regular basis is, is our culture moves more and more digital. We have passwords for everything. I lose passwords. But, and then I'll go in, I don't remember that password, so I need to create a new password, and you need the old password to create a new password, but that's why you need a new password, you can't remember the old password. I mean, it's crazy, all the passwords. I, I've just started like letting you know, the phone tell me, suggest one, and I could never remember that in my life, but I don't remember them anyway. Uh, another thing I lose, um, especially this time of year, is it's not uncommon for me to use the, lose the car in the parking lot. Like when you go Christmas shopping and you park, it's just busier right now, and you have no idea where it is, and you do that thing, I do probably, you start pushing that button, acting like it's not you, but trying to honk the horn, you keep your hand in your pocket with the keys, and who's honking their horn? That's stupid, but it's you <laughs> trying to find your car. I mean, it's just kind of what we do. The thing that is horrible to lose, and I, I've done this with every one of our kids, is, is a, a child, when you lose one of your kids. <laughs> have you ever done that? I remember years and years ago when Nate was a little bitty guy, we were at the mall shopping, and Angie thought he was with me, and I thought he was going with her, and so all of a sudden we figure out, where's Nate? Nate's Nate's not with us. And if you know me, I'm one of those people, I I don't do well with not knowing where my kids are, and so, just like you don't, so I, I went to the counter there, and I'm telling the story, and I'm telling what he's wearing, and I'll never forget the lady's like, okay, well... Let's look around the store one more time, and if we don't find him, then we'll go on the intercom, we'll make some announcements. And I said, how about this, how about this? We go ahead and pop on that intercom and make some announcements while I go look for him. And it was probably 15 minutes, and we still hadn't found him. Now, when you've lost one of your kids, every minute is like a year and a half. Time moves so slowly. And you're thinking all of the worst-case scenarios, and you're trying not to. And I'm trying to make sure Angie's going to be okay, but in our relationship, Angie's the one like, look, it'll be fine. We're going to I'm the one freaking out. So we go out of the store. We go to the main kiosk in the mall, and my man is sitting there eating a cookie, coloring in a coloring book at the security desk out in the mall. Someone had found him wandering around the store and, and took him out of the store all the way down to the security desk in the mall. And I wanted to know who took my son out of the store, and they wouldn't tell me. They would not give me that information. <laughs> But when you lose a child, it is staggering. But, but I want to ask you a question. As we think about the Christmas season, 
Have you ever lost Jesus? You think about the busyness of this season. And we're all familiar pretty much with the Christmas story. I mean, you didn't have to even have to grow up in church to kind of have an idea. Okay, Christmas, we celebrate the birth of Jesus. We know the basics. Born in a manger, we've learned in this series that was actually a cave. We know about the three wise men and the three shepherds. We have a basic understanding about the Christmas story, but we're almost so familiar with it that it means nothing. In fact, Christmas means a lot of things other than Jesus. As you've rolled through this past week, as I've gone through this past week, how often have you paused and literally thought about the birth of Jesus and what it means for you personally? No, you've thought, I hope I get this gift right. I hope I get this right. Right after Angie and I got married, I don't remember if it was a birthday or Christmas, but I, I got her a lot of stuff. Everything I gave her, she took back. <laughs> that's how good I am. <laughs> it's just part of what we, we deal with, but that's what's on our minds. But if you look at the scriptures, a lot of people have lost Jesus. In Matthew chapter 4, the crowds lost Jesus. In Matthew chapter 14, the disciples lost Jesus. In Mark chapter 1, an entire city, Capernaum, lost Jesus. In Luke chapter 4 and John chapter 8, the mobs were trying to find Jesus and they couldn't find him. They lost him. In John chapter 5, religious leaders lost Jesus. But the most profound to me is found in Luke chapter 2, Joseph and Mary, his parents, lost Jesus. Now, when you're the parents of the Son of God, how do you pull that off? How do you lose Jesus? But before we get into the story, could I just ask a question that I think you owe it to yourself and I owe it to myself to ask. How would our lives change if we didn't lose Jesus? What would that even look like? Luke chapter 2, we're in the same chapter, same book for the third week in a row. Luke chapter 2, we find the story. Every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. It was one of three primary festival, festivals in the Jewish culture. And every young man above 13 years old had to go be a part of this. It was the law. And even though there were three, this is the one that they would enforce that law. So when he was 12 years old, talking about Jesus, they went up to the festival. Now remember that, 12 years old, according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy stayed behind. But they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Now, before we're too hard on them, don't we do that sometimes? If you're a Christ follower, I'm a Christ follower, it's very easy to think Jesus is with us and we just keep on going. It's very easy to assume on God and think, well, he's with me. He's promised to never leave or forsake me, which is absolutely true. So he's with me, but his power in our lives, the evidence of his presence in our lives, who he is to us, it, it is very easy to think, oh, that's just fine, and we travel on. And the further we go in life, it's very easy to get further away from him. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Are you in a season where... You're thinking, I think I'm good with God. I hope I'm good with God. It's okay. And you're just traveling on through the days of life, hoping it'll all work out, all turn out, not realizing that the further you go, the further you're getting away from Jesus. There have been seasons in my life like that. Then they began looking for him among relatives and friends. Now, how, how does this happen? Well, what you have to understand is traveling that day in that culture, they're going to Passover. It's about an it's a significant journey, about an 80-mile journey, 
And what we have to understand is there was no highway patrol. There were no policemen. And so they would travel in groups of 100 to 150 people for safety. And so they're thinking it's probably okay. It's no big deal. He's not right with us. You and I think he's 12 years old. But 12 years old in biblical times was not like 12 years old today. 12 years old then was like 23 today. 25, maybe 28, maybe 32. Sorry, millennials, we did it to you. It's our fault. But, but 12 years old in that day, in that process of the 12th year, every Jewish boy would begin to take ownership of his own education, his own future, his own responsibilities. He was moving into manhood. That's why at 13, there's the bar mitzvah. You're a man now. He would literally take responsibility for his own life. So even though he's 12 years old, he would not have been right there at the, at the foot of his parents or right there walking with his parents or not within eyesight. This is like he's a senior in college in today's culture. So it wouldn't be uncommon that they assume he's somewhere in the 150 people that are traveling together for safety as we make this journey. And then they discover he's not there. They began looking for him among their relatives and friends, and when they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, after three can you imagine if you lost your child for three days? I mean, even if it is like a freshman in college, no word, no conversation, no phone call. You don't do phone calls anyway when you're that age. No text messages. Three days. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers and listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Mary said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then they went down to Nazareth with them. He went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother, his mother treasured all these things in her heart. Please, please, please do not forget that phrase. His mother treasured all these things in her heart. This moment did something to Mary. Now here's the reality. What caused them to misplace Jesus is what causes us to misplace Jesus. Distractions. Don't we live in a world full of distractions? You remember not long ago when they passed that law, if you're driving in your car, you can't be texting. Remember that? And everybody obeyed for about a week. Remember that? Remember that? I mean, in the heavier traffic of the shopping season, you stop at a red light it's fascinating to me how long it takes cars to go when the light turns green because red light means get on your phone even more. And so everybody's on their phone and the car in front goes and you all of a sudden have this feeling, I think they may be going. And you look up and they're about 50 feet in front. They're, they're gone and every car goes through that process so it takes forever to get through the dadgum traffic light. I just filtered two thoughts right there that would not have been helpful to you in any way. would have felt very good to say, but I, I filtered that. But distractions, we deal with distractions. There's the distractions of the busyness of the season. And they were dealing with distractions. But they found him. So how do we find him? In a distracted, upside-down world. In a world that's full of stress, where it's easy to lose things. In a season, in a culture where we're all extremely busy. How do we find him? There's some things I notice in these verses. The first thing I notice is Jesus can be found where you last left him. Jesus can be found where you last left him. 
Where they left him is where he was. At some point in your life, probably for the vast majority in this room, there have been some moments, you might not call them this, there have been some kind of God moments in your life. A moment or a time where you sensed God doing something special, a door of opportunity that opened or or, or something unique that happened, a conversation you had. There have been moments, and, and maybe you wouldn't phrase it like this, but you, you just felt like maybe for you, you would say, if there is a God, I think he was doing something. Or you might even say, I know there's a God out there because this happened when I was 18 years old, and then this happened when I was 27. I mean, you, you, you have these moments. If you've never had that, you will. You will. What was going on in your life in that moment? What were you doing? Where were you? Who were you around? What do you do when you lose Jesus? I don't know about your life, but, but, but in our home, when somebody loses something, depending on what it is, there's sheer panic. And especially if it's car keys, the closer we get to the time that we need to go, the intensity sort of goes up a little bit. Or if it's the remote control because of a Dallas game, and, and you don't want to miss that, I don't mind missing many of them this season, to be honest with you, but I don't think Jerry Jones needs to fire Jason Garrett. I think Jerry Jones needs to fire Jerry Jones. If we could figure out how to pull that off, man, that'd be like Christmas all over again. But when you lose something, the intensity kind of goes. How do you find what you've lost? It's not the panic. It's not couch cushions flying across the room and clothes being gone through and they're all over the floor. When you lose something, sit down, take a breath, and what do you tell your kids? Where did you last have it? Have you ever done that spiritually? Where where was the last moment that for me, I sensed the presence of God. I felt like God was doing something. Just sit down calmly and can't find my wallet. So you, you take a look. Okay, where did I last have it? Friday. It was Friday. Friday. We went to Target because we're insane and went inside. And we, we bought, yeah, we bought those things. And I, I know I had my wallet because I had to pay for it. Otherwise, it would have been shoplifting, and I'm a pastor. So I'm pretty sure I had my wallet. We got home. Oh, yeah, I set it on that shelf in the garage as I was bringing everything in. That's right. And you go in the garage, and it's there. Have you ever had that? Have you ever done that? When it comes to your spiritual life, where was I? What was I doing? What was happening in my life? The last time I sensed the presence of God and him working in my life. Because Jesus is not hidden. One of the incredible things about our God is he's not a hide-and-seek God. He's not working real hard to make it really difficult for you to find him. That's, That's not who God is. He wants to know us. Think about this. God sent his son Jesus to earth. Leaving heaven to come to earth to live on this planet in all of its brokenness in a time and a culture back then that was highly religious and because of that extremely dark and brutal. And he let his son be put to death. And three days later he rose from the dead. And all of that because of his love for us so that we can know him personally. God wants us to know him. Jesus isn't hidden. So he can be found often where we last left him. Jesus can also be found among learners and leaders. Learners and leaders. Where was he? He was in the temple, and what was he doing? He was asking questions. Now, if Jesus needed to ask questions, how much more do you and I need to ask questions? Questions when we ask them honestly, and we answer them honestly, and sometimes that takes a lot of courage, questions can become our best friend. 
Jesus is having this conversation, and he's among learners and leaders. It's one of the reasons that us gathering together is so important. Because here we're among learners. You're here to learn something. I'm here to learn something. Not for the sake of knowing more, because there are a lot of people that know a lot of stuff and do absolutely nothing with it, and as a result, have a less than life. Learning is about what am I going to do with what God's showing me and what God's teaching me. What what if we could learn from God? We can. God promises to reveal himself to learners. Have you ever thought, man, I wish I knew what God would want. Man, I wish I knew the will of God. Man, I, I, I wish I knew the wisest thing to do in this scenario. God reveals himself to learners. Let me give you just a few verses, and I'm just going to sort of fly through these rapid fire. Acts chapter 5, day after day, they never stopped teaching, which means some were learning. Hebrews chapter 10, not giving up meeting together, but encouraging one another. People came together in faith communities. James chapter 4, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And the humble in this text speaks of learning. If you want to try to do your best to make God your enemy, live with pride. God will be against you. God will be against me when we think we're the stuff and we live with pride. God opposes the proud. How would you like God to oppose you? God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. James chapter 4, humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. Luke chapter 14, those who humble themselves will be exalted. Proverbs 15, 33, the way of fools seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. Matthew 18, for where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. It's part of the reason this is so important. I don't come to C3 every single week because I'm the pastor. I come because God does things in my life. I would, I would come every week if I wasn't the pastor. Because here's the reality and here's what I know. God's got an epiphany for you. God's got an epiphany for you. Why does that matter? Because every single one of us are navigating some problems. Every single one of us have things we're trying to figure out. Every single one of us have things we're trying to overcome. Every single thing, one of us, and right now there's probably one thing, at least one thing in your life that's, that's kind of overriding everything else. There's something you're navigating. But have you ever thought about this? You're one epiphany, one thought away from solving the problem. One epiphany, one thought away. And, and, and where do I put myself in the place to get that one thought? Because God has that one thought. The best thing I can do is gather with other believers and see what God has to say to me because every single week as we open this book, it is a living book that the Spirit of God uses to speak to your heart, to speak to my heart. And can you imagine, we, we gather 50 weekends a year. Can you imagine if you make 42 of those weekends, you take eight off for vacation, whatever, 42 of those weekends. What if you had 42 epiphanies a year that would solve a problem you're navigating? What if you only have four in a year? And often, I don't know if this happens to you, but often God will show me something in a text that we're looking at, and it'll be three or four months, five months later, that something comes up and it's like, oh, wow. You're one epiphany, one thought away from solving the problem, but you have to be around learners, and you have to be around leaders. Jesus can be found among learners and leaders. And parents, what do we tell our kids when they go to school? We want our kids to learn, right? What's one of the things we tell our kids? When I went to school, I was that kid, the very first day of kindergarten, five years old, first day of kindergarten, I got spanked at school. I grew up in Texas. I mean, that's how they dealt with problems. I got spanked. I'll never forget Miss Gilmore's class. I can talk about her because she's dead now. I don't know where she, I hope she's in heaven. That'd be awesome. But some days I thought, you're going to hell, lady. But, but the very first day of kindergarten, I'll never forget this moment. She said, 
Go to the principal's office right now and tell him what you did. And I'm, I'm not telling you. It's none of your business. But go to the principal's office. Tell him what you did. And so she opened the door. I went out of the class. She shut the door. I sat down on the curb at the, at the doorstep because I thought, lady, you're, you're stupid. It is my first day of school. I have no idea where the principal's office is. So I thought in my five-year-old genius, I'm going to wait here a few moments, then I'm going to turn around and knock on that door, put a little tear in my eye, and be like, that was tough, please don't do that again. But she opened the door and figured it out, so she spanked me in front of the whole class, in front of the entire class. Next year, first grade, first week of school, guess where I went? The principals got to know me really well. Every year I was there, a few times a year. And what's crazy is my dad, when I was real little, my dad was a, a history teacher and a football coach. Football coaches teach, his, teach history. What is it about? I don't, I don't understand. But they did that, and then he became an assistant principal. So he knew all of these people, and they would call him every time I went to their office. So not only did I get spanked at school, when I got home, I got another spanking. Because that was back in the day where parents and teachers were kind of on the same side trying to help kids. And parents didn't fight other adults about it. But I remember my dad over and over again would say to me, and maybe you say this to your kids, and this happened to me. I was made to do this by the teachers. Teachers would say to me, come here, sit on the front row. And many of you, you encourage your kids to sit close to the front. Why? You learn better when there are fewer distractions. Man, what if we took that same approach spiritually? What if it's an act of faith? Now, I understand, and, you know, we're going into a new year in a few weeks. 2020 is coming, and I, I get it. When you come to church, you have your assigned seat. You sit in the same dadgum place every week. And if you walk in and a guest is sitting there, you're a little mad, but you can't be mad because it's church. you got to be okay. But you're thinking inside, don't they know that's my seat? How come they're sitting in that? We're going to get here a few minutes earlier next week. We're getting our seats back. You're not going to throw down with anybody. It's church, but I get it. I get it. But, but what if you came in in 2020, man? I want to be closer to the fire. I, I, I want, as a symbolism in my life of what I'm trying to do, I want to sit close to the front. I want to be close to what God's doing. I want to minimize distractions in my life. And I know those of you that sit way in the back, you're thinking, well, I want to be kind and give those seats to other people. I think we have quite a few. I think there are seats at the front. You'll be all right. So I want to encourage you, man, get close to the fire. Jesus can be found among learners and leaders. And the last thing I want to tell you, Jesus can be found fulfilling the purpose of the Father. Where was he? He was in the temple. He says in this translation, didn't you know I'd be in my father's house? Other translations say, didn't you, didn't you know I'd be fulfilling the purpose God has for me? Isn't it obvious what my purpose is and this is where I would be? One of the ways we find Jesus is in fulfilling the purpose for which we were created. What would happen in your life if you stopped chasing all these dreams and started chasing your purpose? You know what I've learned? When you chase your purpose, dreams come along for the ride. And dreams change. The dreams I had when I was 15, I don't have those dreams anymore. The dreams I had when I was 25, I don't have dream, Dreams come and go. Dreams are fickle, but purpose helps you achieve ultimate dreams in life. And in a stressful season, for many of you, it's not just about Christmas. It's been stressful for a while. And you're hurting, and you're struggling, and you're trying to figure out just how to put one foot in front of the other. And the temptation in our human condition is to think, I can't take on anymore. I can't do anymore. I just need to pause and step back from everything. I need to take a break. I can't process this. I'm worn out. I don't think I can take one more thing. Jesus can be found fulfilling the purpose of the Father. 
You know, there are people walking through intensely stressful seasons and they're fulfilling their purpose. And by fulfilling their purpose, they're getting through those seasons. It's been years now. But I still remember when I would come to church on Sundays, we were meeting in the movie theater. And I would go in the theater across the hall and I would cry. It took everything in me just to show up. Angie, my bride, Angie and I had separated. Divorce was on the horizon. Papers were being filed. It was done. Three times. Three times in a very short period of time, I I called a conference call with our board of directors, and I said, I resign. I can't do this. It hurts too bad. I don't have anything to give. My life's a mess. But every week I would go in that theater across the hall because every time I resigned, they said no. They were intimately involved in all the details and what was going on. And I would walk across the hall and go into the other theater right before I was supposed to get up and speak. And God would give me a strength to get through that message. And often on a lot of Sundays, I'd go back across the hall and cry again in between services. But what I discovered is it was pouring myself even though there was so little of me, into the purpose for which God had created me that got me through it. And it was you. I mean, it it, it is seared in my mind. I'll never forget. I still remember moments where different ones of you encouraged me, praying for me, praying for Angie, and God did an incredible work of restoring our marriage. But if I backed away from my purpose and walked away from it, I would have walked away from you. And I would have missed all of this. It was in fulfilling my purpose that God began healing me before I ever felt that. See, when we discover our purpose, not only will our lives make sense, but we will make a difference. You can make a difference in your pain. You can make a difference in your confusion. And isn't it interesting that stress comes into our lives and stress causes us to doubt God? Why is that our go-to? Have you ever said, no, I'm not going to doubt God. I'm going to doubt my doubts. I'm not going to doubt God. He's been faithful. I'm going to doubt my doubts. I'm going to trust God. I'm going to keep pouring myself into what he's doing, whatever I have in me. And if he can still use me, if he can still work in my life, that's up to him. But he created me for a purpose, and what I'm walking through right now is not shocking to God. He's not blindsided by what's happening in your life. In fact, he's very aware. And the Bible says that he leans in to the brokenhearted, that he comes in closer. So don't travel on in your journey moving away from him, assuming maybe he's with me, maybe he's not, who knows. Come in close. I don't know exactly what the purpose is for your life, but if you're a Christ follower, All of us have a purpose of serving in the local church. The Bible calls it the bride of Christ. So as we get ready for 2020, right around the corner, God's going to bring hundreds of people to us in the next year, maybe thousands, and we want to serve them with excellence. We want to serve them well. Well, I I don't feel qualified to do that. I don't feel like I can do that. God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. God will do in and through your life beyond what you can ever imagine. 
you just have to have a willing spirit and a willing heart. And, and what if in a season of stress, what if when life is not all perfect, because life is never perfect. Wouldn't it be awesome if life was always great? Sometimes you meet people and you think, man, nothing bad ever happens in their life. That's just not true. Life is kind of like a train. It always runs on two tracks. And good things are happening while bad things are happening. And sometimes it feels like more good things are happening, so you kind of go in a circle this way and you feel pretty good about life. And sometimes, other times, it feels like more bad things are happening, and so you go in a circle this way. But, but it's very easy to forget the good things that are happening. Good things like he woke you up this morning. Good things like every single day his mercies are new. Good things like when you become a follower of Christ, the Bible says you are a new creation. Old things are passed away, they're gone. You know what that means? That means even God understands that you can't go back in time and neither can I. So all of the worst moments of your life have been forgiven because Jesus shed his blood for you and for me. You are a brand new creation in Christ. It's so easy to focus on the negative, but, but let's start just doubting our doubts and focusing on who God is and what he's doing in my life and the opportunities in front of me. Because with every day, if he can create the world, the entire universe, in six days, what can he do in your life in 60 or 70 or 80 years? So if you feel like, man, I, I want to make a difference as I think about 2020, serve. Serve in the life of C3. I don't know what your purpose is outside of this, but are you serving in the local church? The Bible says it's the bride of Christ. Now, how much do you think God thinks of the church if he calls it the bride of Jesus? We're not a perfect church. If you're looking for a perfect church, keep on moving. And by the way, don't join any because you'll ruin it. You're not perfect. But if you're looking for a church that understands we're broken, we're not perfect, but we have a perfect Savior who loves doing things with broken people, hey, you may have found your home. And so, man, I want to encourage you to serve. If you're not serving, you're swerving. You're allowing the emotions and the stress of life to drive what you do. Stop that. Begin to chase your purpose and say, man, I, I want to talk about I want to have a conversation about serving in 2020 in the life of C3. Just text serve with C3. No spaces. Serve with C3. See how we're ready for that? That's awesome. Serve with C3. Send it to 313131. And God will use you each and every week. Don't back away. Step into your purpose. W one final thought. I, I need to tell you this. I don't know if you saw this in the text. I didn't see this for years. Mary never lost Jesus again. Think about this. Luke is the writer of this gospel. Gospel means good news. It's the good news of the life of Jesus and how it applies to your life and mine. Luke was not there in the moment, so he's interviewing Mary. He's having a conversation with Mary. Now, Scripture's inspired by God. So Luke is being inspired by the Holy Spirit. He's writing everything down. It's the Word of God, but he uses the personality of Luke to flesh it all out and write it all down. He's having a conversation with Mary, and, and maybe it happened this way. Maybe he said, hey, Mary, tell us about his childhood. Tell us about the childhood of Jesus. And in all of the Bible, there's only one story from his childhood after his birth. And it's this one. In all of the Bible, somehow losing Jesus for a few moments in a span of life marked Mary so much she never forgot it. Out of all the stories she could have told, Luke saying, hey, Mary, who's Jesus' favorite team? Dallas, of course. Mary, Mary, what's Jesus' favorite movie? Mary, what, what drink does Jesus like at Starbucks? Mary, tell us about a time when Jesus, Mary, Mary can you elaborate? What, what happened when he was 10 years old? Out of all the stories Mary could have told about the entire life of Jesus, she tells this one. 
And because she lost him once, she never lost him again. Oh, he was lost again. It happened at the Garden of Gethsemane when the disciples and all of his followers bolted except for Mary and John. Even Peter, his best friend, would deny him three times. He lost Jesus for a moment. But even Peter found Jesus after denying him. Mary never lost Jesus again. In fact, she was there when they hung him on a cross. And I don't know what you picture when you picture the crucifixion. Often we picture Jesus being way up on a cross, and biblical scholars do tell us that the Roman Empire would crucify by hanging people about 10 feet above ground, hanging up in the air where you could look up and see them. But just as often they would crucify people 12 inches off the ground, where their feet would only be 12 inches from the ground. So it is very possible that when we read about Jesus hanging on a cross, Mary wasn't just looking up at him and he wasn't just looking down at her. It's very possible she was right in front of him and they were looking almost eye to eye. She didn't just see his face and hear his words. She was only inches away and could have felt his breath. And because she lost him once, she would not lose him again, even in this moment. So she didn't just hear, she, she felt the words. When Jesus looked at Mary and John, the one the Bible says is the one that Jesus loved. And he looked at Mary and said, Mary, he'll be your son from now on. He'll take care of you. John, this will be your mom. Love her and take care of her the way I would have. She never lost him again. If you've lost Jesus, you can find him today. If you've never experienced the inner transformation of being completely forgiven by a holy God and having the Spirit of God live inside you, cleanse you, make you new, that can happen today. The greatest thing you could do for your life, the greatest thing I could do for my life, if we've lost Jesus, is to find him. If you've never known him, find him. Because God wants to know you in a personal way. Would you pray with me this morning? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Father, thank you for this moment. I thank you once again for every single person in this room. God, I pray for those that are Christ followers that are in a season where they feel like they've lost you. I pray this morning they would, they would contemplate this passage and throughout this week they would take some time to sit and think, where did I leave him last? When was the last time I sensed him moving in my life? What was I doing? What was I involved in? Who was I around? What was I reading? What was I thinking about? God, I pray we would purpose as we move into a new year in a couple of weeks to be around learners and leaders. You to speak into our lives. Father, I pray we would begin to fulfill the purpose for which you created us or continue to fill that purpose. Fill that purpose. And then, God, for those in this room that don't know you in a personal way, I pray your spirit would draw like only you can. With heads bowed and eyes closed, maybe you're here this morning. And you know this morning you, you need, in fact, the greatest need of your life to find Jesus. You need to find Jesus. You have the opportunity to know Jesus in a personal way. And to not just call God, God, but begin to call him Father. And when 
I say father, I don't know what comes up inside you because some of us, some of you did not have a very good father. I, I was blessed to have a great father, but maybe that's not your story. So when I say father, I want you to imagine a perfect heavenly father who you think the kind of father that a father should be. And imagine what God would be as a father if God could be a father because he is. And you can experience that. This morning, if you'd like to commit your life to Christ, I want to encourage you to pray a very simple prayer. You don't have to pray it out loud. You can pray it in the quietness of your heart. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 6 that Jesus knows our thoughts. You're welcome to pray it out loud or pray it in the quietness of your heart. But just, just pray this prayer. Dear God, I need you. Jesus, please come into my life. Please forgive my sin. Help me to live for you. Jesus, as best I know how, I commit my life to you this morning. In Christ's name, amen. 